Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway. Welcome to A Dash of Drush, weekly reflections on our world through the lens of Torah. Last week I was in Alabama, in the deep south, not a state I necessarily thought I would visit, but the impact of that trip is still very much alive in me right now, as I contemplate some of what I saw there. The primary reason for my trip was that I joined a group of about 35 rabbis and other Jewish leaders and educators on a trip organized by Truah, the rabbinic call for human rights, in Montgomery, Alabama, which is where the Equal Justice Initiative have founded these two extraordinary, extraordinary places, the Legacy Museum and the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, which were established there about six months ago. And the Legacy Museum really tells the, the story of of slavery and lynching and segregation and mass incarceration and the horrors of of racism so built into society. And the memorial is a very, very moving memorial for the four thousand, over four thousand people who were were lynched in counties all over the United States and the memorial has found the places of those lynchings and recorded the names and the spurious reasons so-called for the lynchings. So I'm thinking about this trip and, and its impact and I can't help compare it of course to this week's parasha in the Torah which is Vayera, Vayera, the the fourth, the fourth parsha of the book of Bereshit, Genesis, and it's the sort of continuing story of of Avraham that begins with him sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day, in the desert sun, ninety nine year old man having just three days earlier had his uh, Brit Milah been circumcised and is sitting there in this kind of post-surgical days. And then the Parsha continues with the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham really standing up and challenging God's intent to destroy and wipe out. And then towards the end, which synagogues around the world that read the triennial cycle will be reading this year, the Akedah, Akedat Yitzchak, the story of the the binding, so-called, of, of, of Isaac, which is one of the hardest stories we have to confront. And it's a story that we read traditionally on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. And it's the story of Abraham being commanded by God to take his son, his son that he loves and take him up the mountain and sacrifice him. Very, very problematic story. And I think perhaps increasingly in, in, in our age, 
as we think about the impact of of a father sacrificing his child. I remember seeing the powerful film called The Believer in which Ryan Gosling plays this character who was brought up going to a yeshiva day school and couldn't bear this particular story and couldn't bear the fact that his rabbis weren't giving him any satisfactory answers and it led to him going on a journey where he actually became a Jewish neo-Nazi and it's a very chilling film but there's something about the centrality of of this story that kind of underpins that whole drama as it unfolds because it keeps coming back the film keeps coming back to that how can any God want this how can God want a father to sacrifice his son so it's very morally problematic I was reading an essay by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs who really challenges the traditional notions the way if we read it on a surface level it's um, God is testing Abraham why does God need to test Abraham is is, is is the first question. Doesn't doesn't God, the way we want to understand God, know the hearts of humanity? Why would God need a test? The idea of testing Abraham's faith. Is he prepared to create or commit this ultimate sacrifice in order to prove his, his love of God? It's crazy. It's unbearable. And of course, it brings great um, parallels to the story of Job who was also this perfect man who was also tested and in that story uh, Satan, Satan comes into the picture but here too in the in the Midrashic rabbinic readings there's also a little bit of Satan in the story of uh, the testing of Abraham but Jonathan Sachs says that the test was not to sacrifice the child. He brings this this point that I hadn't really considered before where he talks about ancient civilizations. In ancient civilizations and including under Roman law the principle of patria potestas which is where the, the head of a household owns the family and especially the children. The children are, are property. They're not individuals at all. They're just the property. They have no status of, of persons in their, in their own right. And so according to Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the, the test, he says, I'll, I'll quote from him, what God was doing when he asked uh, Abraham to offer up his son was not requ- requesting a child sacrifice, but something quite different. He wanted Abraham to renounce ownership of his son. He wanted to establish as a non-negotiable principle of Jewish law that children are not the property of their parents. There's um, Earlier in the essay, he talks about the fact that the ancient world also, there's much evidence, including archaeological evidence of thousands of, of children's um, skeletal remains, that child sacrifice was definitely practiced a lot in the ancient world. And so... There is a way to read this story as saying 
this is the end. The Torah is making it very clear that child sacrifice is not within the parameters of, of Jewish law and Jewish practice. And it's something that's abhorred. And so in a sense, there's that um, more superficial reading that that's what the story was. This was this was by asking by asking Abraham to commit this act of sacrifice and then that sacrifice not happening. That in fact it was showing in a very clear way that that was over. That appalling idea of sacrificing children was over. But Jonathan Sachs takes it to a, a different level and talks about the fact that it's it's not about sacrifice but but a renouncing of ownership, that children must have rights as individuals in this world. They must have rights in, the, in, in their own ability to be individuals and develop personality and so on. And of course in Jewish law and practice, um, even though we know that um, children at 12 and 13 are still children, uh, legally and in all kinds of other ways, there's this idea with bar and bat mitzvah that a, a child becomes their own moral authority, so to speak, as they start to take their own their own choices more seriously, their own sense of responsibility more seriously. So there's many ways to understand the story. It's not an easy story, but to go back to where I started, I cannot help but think of this in terms of what I saw and what I experienced in the South, in Alabama, and the, the, the awful and continuing legacy of um, civil rights, human rights abuses, of degradation of humanity. The Legacy Museum in, in Montgomery is in a building that was a, a slave warehouse. I went in 2012 with a another group of rabbis to to Ghana with uh, AJWS, American Jewish World Service. And there we took a day trip to Cape Coast and we saw the slave castle with its dungeons where male and female slaves in separate dungeons were kept chained up and naked, waiting for the ships to take them to Europe and to the Americas for for lives of slavery. And now seeing the other end of that, where the river in Montgomery, the docks where ships would um, bring slaves up the Mississippi River and they would be chained and marched into these warehouses and there were many of them around the town of Montgomery and they would be stored in these warehouses until they would be brought to auction in the public square and they would be sold at auction into into lives of slavery and almost always very very cruel cruel lives and then what the museum does is tell the story how once um, slavery was abolished of course it just evolved into something else with the Jim Crow laws with with all of the laws of, of segregation and even today and the lynchings the lynchings and the the uh, National Memorial for Peace and Justice commemorates those 4,000 plus lynchings but the 
the continuing story is that the way in which race plays out in this country is still so unjust and that now there is a new form of slavery of mass incarceration and the so-called school to prison pipeline where where something like one in three uh, black boys are going to end up in 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 the within the the prison system and sometimes they have no 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 possibility of getting out brian stevenson who founded the equal justice initiative which put together these extraordinary places of memory the legacy museum and the memorial he is a lawyer who has dedicated his life to working for equal justice and now has a whole team of lawyers working with him and in in a most extraordinary extraordinary book um, about this called uh, just mercy he tells some of the some of the stories some of the stories of what happens to to people when they're when they're condemned when they're on death row and often have no no way out no way out so i'm thinking of this in terms of the akeda how can i not because it's still so fresh in my memory there are 13 states around the country still today where there is no minimum age for trying children as as adults so what we see is young children who may have committed some some crime sometimes they may even be violent crimes and sometimes not but then they are they are tried as adults and that feels like such a a cruel and punishing thing to see these these young children being sacrificed by an unjust penal system and being being brutally questioned in some cases and then in some states children can actually go to adult prisons and there are absolutely horrendous stories about the abuse that can happen in some of those some of those prisons uh, where a young a young boy will be will be raped and beaten by by other prisoners this is part of what Brian Stevenson's work has been about getting getting uh, juveniles into into juvenile prisons and out of a, the adult system but what are we doing as a as a civilization and in one in one way this is just one example but there are ways in which children are being sacrificed children are being sacrificed it's not the same of course as as uh, Abraham and Isaac but there are other other ways in which we as a civilization just sacrifice our children and when you see the the fear and the innocence even if a child has done something that they know is wrong when you see the innocence and then them being taken into into custody and cross-examined and then in some cases ending up in in adult prisons the crazy part about this story when we come back to the Torah is that according to tradition actually 
Isaac was 37 years old when his father, who was over a hundred, well over a hundred, was was taking him up the mountain. So it's a very different image seeing a man who's a hundred and hundred and thirty-eight, probably years old. Um, he was about a hundred when he um, when Isaac was conceived, and so he's a hundred and thirty-eight-year-old man with his thirty-seven-year-old son. I, obviously, we don't really see the story like that, even if that is how it how it really was. But what we what we do see is much more a father and a son, and the innocent son being taken by his father up a mountain and saying, "You know, I see the wood, but where's where's the lamb for the sacrifice?" And Abraham saying, "God will provide. God will provide." And you imagine tears in. Abraham's eyes as he's taking his son up this mountain. And so I can't help thinking not of Isaac as a 37-year-old man, but as a boy with hope and innocence, with perhaps even initially excitement, going on a journey with his father, a little uh, a little trip, a little hiking trip with his father up a mountain, and then the realization and the awful moment where Abraham actually, before seeing the the ram caught in the thicket, where he actually holds a knife up to his son's neck, and how traumatizing that must be, how traumatizing it is, and how so many children around the world in all kinds of different situations are, are traumatized, traumatized by, by abuse, by some of the awful things that are happening, the, the, the terrible and shameful things that, that, that have come out in the Catholic Church and in other religions where children entrusted, entrusted have been, had that trust absolutely abused by people in power and people in authority. And so... I'm thinking of this story in that way and how it just offers us perhaps as Rabbi Jonathan Sachs points out it offers us this promise that the 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 moral point of the story is that children have rights and children have individual needs and responsibility and their right to develop their own characters as, as as people, as individuals. One of the ways f- for years really that I've made sense of this difficult story, which I first learned from my friend and teacher, uh, Maury Yehudis Fishman, who told me once that if you look at the story, in essence, Abraham is faced with two impossible moral choices. On the one hand, the awful, awful reality of sacrificing his son. And on the other hand, the equally awful and perhaps even more awful reality of of disobeying the God that he loves. And these two impossible moral choices are haunting him as he takes that trek up the mountain and 
It's not until the last moment where the text tells us by Yisa Inaveya, he lifted up his eyes and he saw, and what did he see? Behold, there was a ram that was caught in a thicket. Now, some of the commentators really tell us, and it really is easy to read that into the text, that the ram was there the whole time. The ram was there the whole time, but it wasn't until Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw and saw it and noticed it that the story is able to go into a different direction and so the teaching of that is that very often in life it seems like we are faced either individually or collectively with two impossible choices neither one of which seems in any way acceptable two extreme choices neither one of which we want to do and if we open our eyes and if we lift up our eyes we may see a third choice unfolding in front of our very eyes and perhaps that was what was meant to happen all along but we had to open our eyes in order to see it so i suppose my my hope and my prayer is that we as a as people, as individuals, and also as communities and as as societies, as, as civilizations, will collectively be able to lift up our eyes, to open our eyes and to see other possibilities that we can't see yet, and especially, but not exclusively, in how we treat and how we sacrifice our children on the continuing altars of, of hatred and bigotry and injustice and of course it's not a passive thing we can't just open our eyes and suddenly everything changes we have I think to to commit ourselves to to working for justice whatever that might mean and it's not easy but that we especially those of us who are who are white and who enjoy white privilege that we somehow recognize and know that so much white wealth and white power in this country has been built literally on the backs of slaves of another race and what we do with that can determine what happens in the future what we do with that privilege how we attune ourselves to the continuing injustices and microaggressions that exist in our world that we God willing one day will as a civilization be able to open our eyes and see a third way which will include a much more integrated and a much more just world and a world in which we will no longer be sacrificing our children <laughs> Thank you for listening to A Dash and Drush, we will see you next time.